Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. This is The Crossover, an NBA show hosted by Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. It's a whole new level for you and me, Chris, this relationship. Like and subscribe for the best weekly NBA content these two are capable of. What does that mean? Could be the best duo ever. I don't see how you can beat that. Here they are, Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. And we are back. First episode of September, crossover NBA podcast, Chris Mannix and Howard Beck, a freshly vacationed Howard Beck. Would you take like the whole month of August off, Beck? And uh, now you're getting back into the mix here after Labor it was, Day. It was like two weeks. It was it was 12 days in Spain. My, my body composition is now like 40% tapas, uh, 30% wine, and 20% gelato. Uh, so I'm good to go. I'm great. I'm ready for the season. You know, the the trip to Europe has become like the NBA beat writers, you know, annual sojourn, right? You got Brad Turner going to Europe, Kyle Goon, I saw you ran into Kyle Goon over in Barcelona, didn't you? Barcelona. Yeah. 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 Had a had a nice drink for, for a couple hours one evening before uh before I departed. He had just gotten there. Actually yeah. our, our teammate Jeremy Wu is bopping around the continent right now, I believe. Yeah, but he's Basically, looking for Victor Wembanyama, I think. I think it's his, uh, <laughs> he's he's like he's hunting him down as we speak over uh, on the European shores. Uh, so we didn't get a chance back to weigh in on the big trade between the Cavaliers and the Utah Jazz. So we're going to look at that on this episode um, from a whole bunch of different angles. A little bit later on, Howard, we have a guest on this week's podcast: Karan Butler, fourteen-year NBA veteran, NBA champion. He's got a new book out. I spoke to him last week about that. He had some good stories about his time with Kobe Bryant, about some of the parallels that he sees between Kobe Bryant and Jimmy Butler, who 
he works with now in the Miami Heat. So stick around for that after uh, Howard and I speak on this podcast. But the deal that went down, Howard, uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers, they acquire Donovan Mitchell. They trade a handful of players, including Colin Sexton and Lowry Markkinen. They trade three unprotected first-round picks, two swap rights to Utah for the right to grab Donovan Mitchell. The Jazz, I mean, the the Cavs, they kind of came out of nowhere with this one in making a deal. Most people thought the Knicks and the Jazz would find a way to get a deal done. Uh, What was your reaction to Utah making the deal with Cleveland? Yeah, actually, real quick, before we get to all that, and I'm excited to hear your Karan Butler interview, one of the all-time good guys in the NBA and a really thoughtful uh, individual, uh, period. Uh, On the Friday pod, we will be hearing from, speaking of Laker ties, Jeannie Buss, owner of the Lakers, uh, will be my guest on the Friday pod, talking about the the Hulu series, about uh, the Lakers and legacy and all that. Um, So the trade, you know, it's interesting. Like, Like a lot of people, like we all knew Cleveland was sitting there kind of lurking. We knew about interest there are times that the whole league and you know how this goes chris in in our business where we 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 tap into this nba grapevine it's a very chatty grapevine and sometimes there's a very strong consensus about things and this is the second time in the last few years where the consensus simply got it wrong for different reasons a few years ago it was the whole league thought kevin durant was ending up with the knicks didn't happen that way, of course. Durant and Kyrie go to the Nets. Uh, some people associate with the Knicks and their fans probably after the last year might be grateful for that outcome, although still um, they're great players and they didn't get them. This was a, a similar kind of scenario in that nobody around the league that you could talk to for the last couple of months thought Donovan Mitchell was going to end up, in this case in a trade, going anywhere but. And it's different than that Donovan Mitchell, okay, New York ties, wanted to be a Nick and all that, but he, he's under contract for multiple years. He could not steer this process. So it wasn't so much that. It was just that the Knicks had this boatload of picks. They acquired more on draft night. They seemed armed and ready and prepared and that this was the moment that they had been aiming for the whole time. And that the outcome was anything but Donovan Mitchell to the Knicks, I think was a little bit shocking to to everybody, um, probably including the Knicks. And so... Uh, it's it's interesting. Um, let's just talk about the Cleveland part of this first. Like, yeah, start there. Yeah. The Cavs being all in, I've, I just freaking love. Um, this franchise, as we know, if you take out the LeBron years, that's a really big asterisk to just kind of <laughs> wave away. But if you take out the LeBron years, they hadn't won a playoff series since I think the stat is 1998, something like that. It's a long, long time that they've had a non-LeBron measure of success. And... They've done a really nice job, Kobe Altman and his staff, over the last few years in their latest post-LeBron period of developing their players and of being really opportunistic and getting Jared Allen by jumping into that that Nets-Rockets deal. And Darius Garland becomes an all-star. Jared Allen becomes an all-star. They're bad enough to get Evan Mobley. They could have just sat back, Chris, and said, you know what? We're young. We're growing. Last season, yeah, tailed off at the end. We had injuries. We're good. We could just keep, you know, messing around the fringes and we'll be fine. They did not have to make some dramatic splash, but I admire the hell out of them for doing it, especially because it did not cost them any essential players. No disrespect to Lowry Markkinen, who was a one-year rental, essentially. No disrespect to Colin Sexton, who missed their best year uh, in years without LeBron uh, because he was hurt. Um, And some some picks. They now have four potential all-stars. Evan Mobley, by all measures around the league, is going to be a stud. And 
look, we could quibble about where they are in the pecking order. Everybody immediately asked, start asking me, you know, every in a radio interview, it's like, oh, so where are the Cavs in, in the East now? It's not about that. Like, it's, a, it's about the next three to four years, assuming that Donovan Mitchell is happy there and that all these guys mesh. And, and there's definitely a discussion about whether they mesh. But at minimum, I think they're now in that top six. We have to talk about playoffs now as top six because everything from seven on down is playing. I think they're a solid top six playoff team. And then if some things break their way, or if there's any injuries to Celtics, Bucks, Sixers, Heat, Nets, if they're in there, I don't know where to put the Nets. Um, the Cavs are well positioned to crash the party in the top four. I don't know that that will happen immediately, but uh, I love this. I do think there are some caveats. Again, we'll talk about it. Garland and Mitchell as a defensive backcourt, being an undersized backcourt, fair question. Garland and Mitchell having to figure out ball distribution as two guys who are used to running everything and have everything run through them. Absolutely valid question. But in terms of just sheer talent, what they've assembled and making this move for him to bolster that young core, how can you not love it? Yeah, let's take a minute here and salute Kobe Altman, Mike Ganzi, that front office in Cleveland. I mean, LeBron leaves in 2018. The next year, they have 19 wins. The year after that, 19 wins. The year after that, 22 wins. It was last season Brutal. that they made that big jump, a surprising jump, and got to 44 wins. And Howard, it, it could have been even more. Uh, I mean, you look at the way last season shook out with Sexton getting hurt early on, though I do agree with you. You know, I, I think it was actually, I don't want to call it addition by subtraction because Sexton's a good player, but it it, cl it clarified roles Absolutely. on that team. It made Darius Garland the primary ball handler. It gave Isaac Okoro a bigger opportunity, and he's a bigger guy and fits better alongside Garland. But they had 44 wins last year, and if, they, if, if Mobley doesn't get hurt in the second half of the season, they don't deal with the injury bug in the second half of the season. You know, look, they were the third seed at one point at like the mid-season mark. I think it was around January. Um, you know, no reason to believe they couldn't have kept that going and been a top four or five team uh, in the Eastern Conference last year. So you add Mitchell to that mix, and I just think they're going to take off. I mean, they won all those games. They won 44 games last year with all the injuries I talked about and an offense that ranked 20th overall. The offense is going to get a lot better with Donovan yes. Mitchell. Um, he adds a playmaker that they needed. At one point, it was really Garland, to a certain degree, Karis LeVert, who was you know, handling the, all the ball-handling responsibilities. Well, now here comes Donovan Mitchell, who has done that, will give Garland an opportunity at times to play off the ball. They were, I think, a top-five defense last year. I don't think they take that big a hit with Mitchell uh, you know, sliding into one of those spots. Mitchell was bad defensively last year, really bad defensively. But I don't think he is bad defensively. I just think last year, with all the offensive responsibility that was burdened on him, and yeah, look, I've said this before, he wasn't in shape when he came on, came into the Jazz, uh, came to the Jazz in training camp, and yeah, you know, last year was kind of a turbulent year for for a few different reasons. So I think he's going to come back in better shape. I think he's going to be a better defensive player, and most importantly. He's got two monsters on the back line behind him. He's got Evan Mobley. He's got Jared Allen. He's got guys that are going to protect him and make him look like a lot better defensive player. So yeah. look, is it unrealistic to think that this Cavs team could jump to a top 10 offense? I don't think so. I think Mitchell is that good and that dynamic 
offensively. And if they are, if they have a top 10 offense and a top 10 defense, that's a recipe for being a contending team. Uh, they'll, they'll certainly have a, some growing pains, all that, but you know, uh, you know, top six I think is fair. Um, but I think with some breaks, they could eat, they could slide that top four. They they could. Um, that brings us to, to the caveats, right? This is not fantasy basketball. It's not just pile up the stats, add them all together, and now you're a better team. They they could be and probably should be a top ten offense in terms of of points per 100 possessions. I think they can get there. Donovan Mitchell, a three-time All-Star, and a guy who's a great clutch time player. Um, They needed another score, a bit of scoring punch. And Darius Garland was just completely overtaxed uh, in terms of being a primary ball handler. They just needed somebody else. And if they can get a full season-ish of Karis LeVert, who... You know, Karis LeVert's kind of a jack-of-all-trades, master of none, but he he can run an offense a little bit off the bench or run a second unit. These two guys, Garland and Mitchell, will probably actually alternate quite a bit, I would think. You know, they're going to start together, finish together, and I think you probably try to find spots in the game to uh, to, to alternate them because you're going to need you're, you're going to need to placate a little bit, right? Darius Garland just had his breakthrough season. He went from high pick with some promise and, a, and an awkward pairing with Colin Sexton to now being paired with Donovan Mitchell, who's a much, 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 much better version of Colin Sexton. But still, the bottom line is Donovan Mitchell, nearly 33% usage rate last season. That was sixth in the NBA. Garland was lower at at nearly about 28% usage. That was 22nd in the NBA. But still, Garland has a breakthrough season as a primary ball handler, scorer, playmaker, runner of all things offense. And now Donovan Mitchell comes in as a guy who's much more established as that. So they're going to have to figure that out. I'm not casting doubt on it, but it, it's a thing. This is how it goes in the NBA. You get two ball-dominant guys together, they got to uh, figure out the best way to balance it. But if they do, you now have two guys who can really put points on the board, who can initiate and create a lot for themselves and for their teammates. You've got Jared Allen, one of the better lob threats in the NBA. You've got Evan Mobley still developing as an offensive player, but you know already showed some promise um, with the ball in his hands as a rookie. Depth could be a little bit of a concern, but now we're nitpicking. Um, crashing the party. So I think you and I probably agree. Celtics at full strength, Bucks at full strength, 1-2, one, 2-1, two, two, one, whatever they are in some order. Miami's always hard to kind of figure out. Best record in, in the East last year, but Miami kind of lacking that one super dynamic offensive player. Still don't have him, and they lost P.J. Tucker. So they lost some toughness, lost some three-point shooting at the power forward spot. I don't know how to assess Miami, but they're the heat. They're stubborn as hell. They'll be around. Sixers, full season of Harden and Embiid. Added some pieces. Should be great. But, you know, (laughs) James Harden. Never know how to predict where he might be. And then there's, of course, the Nets. Then there's the Nets. I I didn't even know what to talk about, how to to assess the Nets. But all that talent on paper, we'll see. I'm just saying it's very crowded at the top, potentially. And I do think the Cavs have to get catch some breaks to crash that party. But again, I don't care if they can or not this season. They're young, and this was not a move made just for this season, but for the next two to three years minimum. You know, windows are very short in today's NBA. But um, they bought themselves a window where if, if, if uh, injuries and, and age start catching up to the heat, if injuries and age start catching up to, by the way, the Bucks. Giannis aside, like you got Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, Brooke Lopez, guys who have a lot of miles on them and, and injury histories. 
they're putting themselves in a position where some of these teams falter a bit. If the if the Embiid Harden thing doesn't really work out that well, if the Nets still end up blowing it up and still end up trading Durant, the Cavs are in a very strong position to be the next team in, and uh, that's what they've done. That's what they've done for themselves. At a minimum, they're they're right there to pounce if there's a, a single crack in that top tier. So here's the only concern I have with this deal. Um, all we've read in the last couple of days is Mitchell has three years remaining on his contract. He does. Three guaranteed years, then a player option at the back end of that. Um, but one of the realities of this trade is that next summer, Mitchell will likely have a decision to make. He is extension eligible next summer. Undoubtedly, the Cavs are going to look at him and say, we'd like to add three more years onto your contract, which what that effectively means is that he would decline the player option. He'd have the two guaranteed years left on his contract, plus three new ones that the Cavs would tack on. What happens if Mitchell declines that? Which, you know, look, would be well within his rights. I mean, he if he wants to test free agency at some point, that's fine. If he wants to wait another season to see what it's like to play in Cleveland, that's fine, of course. Um, it doesn't end extension talks, but... If he turns down an extension next summer, Howard, I, I think there's going to be a measure of, you know, what's the word? Consternation, maybe, in the Cavs' front office about the potential of losing him. And, and what I wonder is, if he turns down that extension, do the Cavs turn around and trade Donovan Mitchell? Do they try to maximize his value um, in a deal and get something back in return? Because what the Jazz are counting on, and we'll get to them in a minute, is you know Mitchell walking away for nothing, and those draft picks that Cleveland forked over in 27 and 29 and all that stuff become increasingly valuable here. So I just registered that as a red flag, that Donovan Mitchell, if he turns down an extension next summer, will give the Jazz front office something to think about. There's no guarantees. I mean, you know, obviously there never is. And you would think that they probably, because there's, you know, this is a... <laughs> This is a league of back channeling. There was probably some back channeling to get a sense of like, hey, will Donovan Mitchell be happy here, or is this is this you know going to be something that'll that'll work for him? Um, you know, you think, few- you think I don't know. I, like I I don't know about that. I don't know that there was when a guy has three years left in his contract, you care a lot less about what Absol- he thinks. Yes, and I was about to say like, there's you don't have to. He's not a walk away free agent, but. I think you generally try to get a feel for, like, if he was going to absolutely throw a fit on day one or say, like, no way, I, I don't want to be in some power-sharing thing in the backcourt with Darius Garland or, I, you know, I, I hate Cleveland or whatever. Like, you know, if there was anything where he was adamantly opposed, you'd, you'd, you'd probably want to know or feel that out. Let's put that aside for a second. Um, they have this coming season to get a, a good sense of who Donovan Mitchell is, what he's about, what he wants how that partnership works with Darius Garland, how the whole chemistry of the whole starting unit works, how he meshes with coaches and everything else. By next summer, when he's extension eligible, I think you'll probably already have a pretty good idea of of whether you acquired an all-star who's a really good fit or whether this was, eh, we took a flyer and it's not going to work. At that point, he'll be, you know, 26, 27, still in in his early prime, still worth a, you know, shit ton to everybody else in the league. Nick's probably still interested, um, Nick's probably still having I, all those picks I, available. I can say definitively the Knicks will still be interested next summer. Yes. So, 
you know, they know they've got an out. You know, this isn't uh, picking up a guy who's injury prone or late in his career or a guy like, you know, Kyrie or Kevin Durant or Ben Simmons, guys who have big concerns around them that make you think, I don't know if I can rely on them, right? Like he has, he doesn't have any of those. Like Donovan Mitchell's got his own warts, but not of the reliability variety. So the, the Cavs have an out. If it doesn't work, they will still have Darius Garland, young and evolving, Jared Allen, youngish and evolving, Evan Mobley, very young, very much still evolving. They will still have this core that they started with in the first place, and the only thing that they've lost is a couple of fringe players and some picks, which they can recoup in another Donovan Mitchell trade. Sort of what the Nets did when they got the picks back from the, the, the Sixers after sending all theirs to Houston. So, I, like, they, they, that's a worst-case scenario. And, and I, don't, I don't, you know, like, it's way too early probably to, to even consider that. But if we're talking about weighing the downside... Obviously, the plus is low, you know, far outweigh the minuses here. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree. It's it's a, a a risk, but I think the right one to make if you're the Cavs. All right, let's talk about the Jazz now. Um, they get back a package headlined by Colin Sexton, Lowry Markkinen, but most importantly, they get back five, effectively five first round picks, three first round, three unprotected first round picks, two sets of swap rights. Um, they get uh, a package of players or package of picks for Gobert and Mitchell that amounts to 13 unprotected or lightly protected first-round picks through 2029. So they now have a treasure trove of assets. They now, their cash of draft picks resembles what Danny Ainge had after the KG Pierce-Rondo deals of 2013-2014. So they are, they are equipped. Um, they're not going to win many games this year which is by design i think they are in a full-scale rebuild they are i don't know if there's a hashtag for victor Wembanyama yet but they are losing for him let's just say that and and that's where they are what, what did you think of what the jazz got back in this donovan mitchell deal they're uh they're vying for victor there you go good and start wa- and uh waning for Wembenyama. Isn't I don't know. this Jeremy Wu's territory? Like, doesn't he have to come up with that? Isn't he required uh, I think as far that, as our that's staff part of the goes? Job. Yeah, yeah, I mean, if you're, if, you're, if you're the draft guy, you got to come up with the catchy hashtag slogan for teams that are, are tanking for a transcendent talent. Um, get on that, Jeremy Wu. Uh, look, I mean, here's, here's, a, here's a funny, interesting little twist here. So the Jazz now are sitting on this this cache of of picks and swaps and all this as you mentioned the thunder of course still have a bazillion picks the pelicans i think still have uh, extras from from their anthony davis deal the jazz so when we get the next discontented star unless it's donovan mitchell being the one it the jazz could be the one outbidding now the knicks <laughs> because of all that they've acquired not just in the mitchell deal but in the gobert deal of course um and of course look I, there's this glut right we don't know if and when the Thunder, the Jazz, Pelicans, Knicks for that matter, whether you're going to be able to use all those picks to, to get the guy you want anyway. You know, you acquire all those picks, you, you, you know, pile them up for a reason. You hope you have the opportunity to spend them in some, some blockbuster. Um, we'll see. We'll see. You know, the Jazz got what they wanted. They got a lot, 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 lot worse. They got a lot of picks. Um, they're, in, they're in great shape for being a rebuilding team that decided to tear down a high 40-win team. It was the right move. Like they, they'd absolutely hit a wall. They weren't going any further than they than they were with this group. 
and Gobert was making a, a boatload of money um, for a guy who's not an offensive uh, you know, creator in this league. I, I don't like spending that much on a defensive center, even when as good as he is. Um, so they were right to, to, to peel him off and then right to move Mitchell too. And they're, if, you're, if there's a, de- a year to be bad, do it the Victor Wembanyama year. Um, and consolation prize, if you don't get Wembanyama, maybe you end up with Scoot Henderson. Um, and in the meantime, you know, Bogdanovich has value and Conley has value and Sexton for that matter now under, under, on a four year yep. deal with the sign trade has value. I don't see him as being some kind of essential foundational, like nobody is nobody on that roster is now an essential foundational piece for the jazz. They can flip anybody and everybody and get even more stuff. Um, for a rebuilding situation in a small market, totally fine. So, um, I'm, I'm very curious to see who gets spun off and where can the Lakers get some, some pieces there. They, they could use uh, some, some high level role guys and a shooter like Bogdanovich for, for sure. Um, so I'll be interested to see where that goes for Utah, but yeah, I mean, no complaints with what they did for a, for a team that had clearly hit a brick wall, had maxed out with what they had, had no clear path forward. If you're going to tear down, they're tearing down the right way. I agree. Um, and look, I've been saying for months that it, it doesn't matter what the Jazz get back in terms of players. That's never been what Danny Ainge has been looking for. I mean, go back to that Celtics deal, the Pearson KG deal. Who was the best player to come out of that deal coming from the Nets? Was it Gerald Wallace? <laughs> like, I mean, Chris Humphreys? Who, uh, was Marshawn Brooks in that deal? I think he was in that deal, yes. like they, It just didn't matter to Danny Ainge back then what players he got, and it doesn't really matter to him, at least in terms of veterans, what he gets or what he got in the last couple of months. I mean, you know, Sexton, I've read some consternation. I can't stop using that word. I've read some grumblings about uh, Sexton and the contract he got because, look, Sexton had his back against the wall with the Cavs. Like, he was a couple yeah. weeks away from signing the qualifying offer. Like, that's where he was with Cleveland. So we got a great deal out of it. He gets, what, $17 million per year somewhere in that neighborhood. But if Colin Sexton plays like the guy we saw two years ago, like he's going to be valuable in a trade. Like Somebody will come for him because that's a reasonable contract for a guy that averages 20 points per game. And oh, by the way, in Utah, he's going to average 20 points per game on that team if they clear out some of the other veterans uh, on that roster. Marketing, whatever. Uh, O'Shea Abaji, I mean, that's almost like getting another draft pick. He was a lottery pick this year. So 14th, but yeah. Ah, but all right, he's a lottery pick. That's, you know, what was Giannis? He was the last lottery pick. Whatever. He's a first-round pick. You're getting that. You also got Walker Kessler (laughs) from Minnesota, so you're getting first-round picks back in return. You got some intriguing uh, young talent to potentially develop. So it's it's always been about the draft picks. I I fully expect Boyan Bogdanovich to be the next guy to go. Like, I've talked to enough people around the league to make me believe that there's a first-round pick out there for uh, Bogdanovich, uh, somebody will will trade him. Mike Conley might be a little bit more difficult in terms of getting value back in return because of his age, his contract. Um, but I think he'll eventually uh, be on the move as well. And all then all of a sudden, you're just you're a roster full of twenty somethings that will probably win between twelve and eighteen games next year. I mean, if we're being fair, I mean both conferences right now are loaded. The talent level in both is as yeah. good as I've seen in years. So it's going to be tough for the Jazz to get wins. So, But that's that's what Danny Ainge wants. He wants all these draft picks, and he wants the flexibility to either use those draft picks or make deals with them down the line. So yeah, he got what he wanted on that end. 
also if they don't if they don't manage to move some of those veterans those veterans are going to get hurt and not play like yes. we know what we know what the, the the path is here we've seen the thunder doing it for the last few years like there's no question the jazz they're going to be a bottom three team if the goal is to be is you know because it's the worst three teams have equal whatever 14.4 percent chance of getting the number one pick now that the so that was the anti-tanking measure or whatever you just need to be bottom three. Will they be bottom three? I, I oh, think there's yeah. a, a very, very, very strong chance they're going to be I mean, you can, you can name the bottom three. So San Antonio, Utah, bottom three right there. I think Houston's going to yeah. wind up there uh, as well. Houston might, they're, if there are enough of their ta- young talent starts to pop a little bit, they'll, they'll play themselves out of the bottom three. And the Thunder are still lurking there. And like the Thunder in this weird position where it's like at some point they got to start moving forward. And actually they have, even without Holmgren for the year, like, between Gilgis Alexander and 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 uh, Dort, they're Giddy too good. And some other players like it, to, to me, yeah, they, they might they might be me. just yeah, not not too good. Like they're not going to be a five hundred team, but they're they may be too good to be bottom three. Um, so there's you know and or Orlando, like I, I just see Orlando just well, like they're, Orlando's yeah. just on this on on, on on like they're just they're just treading water. Like you I know, don't the, even know the, what, to but imagine. the team the team in the East to watch is Indiana. Like that's the one that could really crater. You know, it, this year. If, it, if they India, make the deal, if yes. they make that a Turner heel deal, and if it sure. like, I, and we're not going to get to the Westbrook stuff on this podcast, but like, if they make that deal and cut Westbrook, and all of a sudden you're playing, you know, Tyrese Halliburton and whatever Field of Dreams level guys that are coming to the Indiana gym, like I don't, you're not going to win games. You're just no. not going to do it. So no, there's there will be competition for those bottom three records. Yes, but the Jazzer and Spurs, I think, have two of those three probably locked up. Attention, all wrestling aficionados! Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back. And joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Die. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media. 
as well as my straight shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's talk about the New York Knicks, who, ever the bridesmaid, never the bride, left at the altar one more time, uh in not consummating this deal. Howard, I think I've read 900 different permutations of a Knicks deal in the last couple <laughs> of, of what days. their final offer was, what their final offer was, what their what original their offer was. was. Yeah. I can tell you from talking to people in the know that the Knicks absolutely positively were willing to part with RJ Barrett. Like no question about that. Um, where there was question was not so much about the Quentin Grimeses of the world, the Obi Toppins of the world, was the draft capital that would be going back with R.J. Barrett. If it was going to be R.J. Barrett in the deal, I don't think the Knicks want to part with anything more than two unprotected first-round picks. Without Barrett in the deal, my understanding is the Knicks would have gone deeper into the draft well. It just never really got to that point so i have a i have some more thoughts on this but i'll ask you first um your reaction to the knicks not getting donovan mitchell so listen i got i got a lot a lot of thoughts on this but like you chris my overall thought and i think this is this meshes with what the majority of knicks fans felt in the wake of this once the shock wore off is great they did not overpay um they were right to to say no in the end or right yeah that's what you wrote last week I think that is most that is generally the consensus opinion among a lot of folks around the league, a lot of us in the punditry business, a lot of Knicks fans, especially because the Knicks have a, a long and awful torturous history of overpaying and of putting so much into like a Carmelo Anthony deal or when I got Marbury or whoever else that you don't have enough assets left to do anything else. You hamstring yourself, you 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 empty the the cash on the wrong guy and I'll just say this. Donovan Mitchell, really good player, but he's not the guy who transforms your franchise. I will go to this extent, and this is mostly a reflection about how strong the East is right now, but it is partially a reflection on how kind of meh the Knicks roster is right now. If you got Donovan Mitchell for free, did not subtract a single player from the Knicks roster, 
They still were not guaranteed to make the playoffs. They still were not guaranteed to make the play-in. Like, go do the math. Go look at all the teams. Tell me who they would have been better than. Because, all right, granted, a thousand caveats on the Nets. But we, as we've discussed, Boston, Milwaukee, Philly, Miami, Cleveland, Brooklyn. That's six right there that would be better than a Knicks team with Donovan Mitchell and the Knicks losing no one. So now at best, you're probably in play-in range. And the play-in group, I mean, Atlanta got better. Toronto was young and improving. Chicago's still lingering I, like they were a pretty good team last year washington with some health charlotte with some health I, i'm not that not necessarily buying it to Charlotte, but still it's crowded were the knicks even guaranteed to be a play-in team much less a playoff team with donovan mitchell even if they'd lost nobody from the rotation i don't see it because donovan mitchell's really really good but he's not lebron kevin durant steph curry joel Embiid, Jokic, luka level good he doesn't single-handedly transform your franchise. So I can, I'm, I'm absolutely on board with the idea that they had to probably hold the line on some level, not give up everything, because even once you got him, you need some other assets to get the next guy. Because they don't have the next guy. To say nothing, by the way, about the fact that, yeah, Donovan Mitchell and Jalen Brunson, undersized backcourt, not enough defense. They don't have Cleveland's back line. So people who are saying like, oh, well, how come it's different for Cleveland? Because Cleveland's got a better team. And they've got an incredible back defensive line of Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. It's different. Um, so I, it's fine. It's fine. I agree with you, Chris. But, but Donovan Mitchell would have made the Knicks relevant. And you can never rule out the importance of that, especially in New York and especially with the James Dolan-owned team. He would have made them relevant. He would have made them sexy again, entertaining. They would have been interesting and fun and maybe not good enough to make the playoffs or maybe they'd be a play-in team. But also, it's also that, that philosophy of first man in. Now you've got him and now maybe he's the reason that the next star is more interested in coming, whether in free agency or, or via forced trade or whatever it might be. Um, also, by the way, this is now three off-seasons for Leon Rose and his crew. They were hired, in, and he was hired in, in early 2020, middle of, the, uh, middle of the pandemic, or just early stages of the pandemic. They've had three off-seasons, three drafts, three summers to make moves, and they have to show for it what at this point? Jalen Brunson, who's never going to be an all-star. Leon Rose and World Wide West came from CAA. The whole point of the CAA gambit was these are the guys who know stars these are the guys who have relationships with stars these are the guys who are networked these are the guys who and that was the approach and what do they have to show for it right now i'm not saying that means you should make a bad deal to be clear but the job at the end of the day is to land the players who make a difference they have not done that so yes it's it you should not overpay and maybe they were right to draw the line in the sand where they did but you haven't succeeded either. We can't set the bar so low for any team's leadership that we say it's okay just to have taken a lot of conservative moves and not made mistakes. They've made a couple more minor mistakes, but they've not made the kind of catastrophic mistakes of a lot of their predecessors. And that's a good thing. Again, the bar is kind of low because the, the Knicks have gone through what they've gone through for the last 20 years. But let's not go too far with this. The job is to get the stars and they really, really wanted this star and they did not get him. And the last administration really, really wanted Kevin Durant, probably including Kyrie if they had to take him, and they did not get them. And so, you know, we can't, we can't ignore that piece of it. And especially because the owner has a long history of getting antsy 
of saying, what have you done? Where is the results? They're going to have a bad season, Chris. Barring anything unforeseen in terms of, of, of you know, trades to come, the Knicks are going to be in the lottery. They're not even going to be in the running for the play-in. And at some point, the pressure is going to be on Tibbs and the criticism will be on him. Is he, we already have plenty of signs of a rift, or I shouldn't say rift, plenty of signs of a difference of philosophy between the front office that keeps getting young guys and a coach who does not play them as much as the front office or a lot of fans want to see. So if they're bad and they're not playing the young guys, you know, how long does, how long until it's Tibbs' job on the line? And then at the end of the season, when they've missed the playoffs in what, three out of four years or whatever under this administration, um, am I getting it right? Two out of three, three out of four, it's it's all a blur. But, you know, then at some point we know what this owner does. Now, Dolan did not hijack this trade and force it through as he did with the Carmelo deal years ago. That's a plot positive. That would not have been something that, that most people would have wanted to see. It doesn't mean he's all of a sudden become zen about this team. At some point, it's like there's going to be consequences for not making any progress. And then last quick thought on this, by the way, and you, I brought this up before. They have foregone... There's, there's three ways to get high talent or talent period in this league, right? This the obvious. Draft talent... Trade for talent, sign talent, and free agency. They're trying to trade for talent. And the point of stockpiling picks is so that you can trade for a star or stars. The free agency route hasn't really been, it doesn't seem like they've pursued that as much, or maybe they just haven't seen any open doors to get the guy that they wanted. So that hasn't really done it. And Jalen Brunson is not a star. So like that's, they use free agency to get him, but whatever. Draft, they have foregone the draft. They have foregone the draft. By hiring Tibbs, they decided to forego the draft because they could have had a lottery pick in a year that they didn't when they overachieved under Tibbs in his first year. They could have had higher picks in some of the other years if they didn't have a coach who was trying to squeeze every last ounce of, of points out of every game. So like, I'm not criticizing them for trying to win, but I am saying like in this league, there's a couple different approaches. We're seeing what the Jazz are doing now, what the Thunder have done, what other teams that decided, you know what, we're rebuilding, we should be bad. If we're going to be bad, we might as well be really, really bad. The Knicks have not done that. They have foregone the take a bunch of bites at the apple approach. The only time they were there was with uh, R.J. Barrett. That was the last administration, third overall pick. Yes, they were that close to Zion or John Morant, but still, you get the third pick. You could have had other bites at the top three apple if you had decided it was okay to go with a rebuilding type of coach and a, and a development kind of, of, of approach. And they didn't. So it comes back to like, there's no clear strategy here to get stars or, or high level talent. And they haven't done it yet. At some point that is going to matter again. I agree with most of that. Um, so if the Knicks had made the deal that was reported, whether it's RJ Barrett at the center of it and some other ancillary pieces, it still would have been a bad year. They still would have been a lottery team. Like the combination of Donovan Mitchell, Jalen Brunson, Mitchell Robinson, Julius Randle, it's not getting you in the playoffs, the Eastern Conference. Probably not even getting you in the play in the Eastern Conference. It's not. Um, and, and you bring up relevance. I feel like for too long, the Knicks have been focused on that. Like, let's just be relevant. Let's go get Carmelo Anthony. Let's make a trade 
that brings back Andrea Bargnani. Like let's <laughs> let's go get Eddie Curry. You had to bring up Bargnani. Jeez, I had to. Well, you're, that was one of the worst. You're giving Knicks fans PTSD. I, uh, but text. I mean, like between Eddie Curry, Andrea Bargnani, Carmelo Anthony, there have just been deal after deal that yeah. have that has looked good on paper. I mean, Eddie Curry at the time looked good on paper. He was like a 16 point Zach per game Randolph. score in Chicago. Zach Randolph looked good on paper. Bargnani even looked good on paper, but then. You know, that didn't the, even look good on paper. Well, I mean, at least... Well, <laughs> I mean, well, but then the, the lottery pick comes around, then you're like, oh, crap, we could have had player X, and we should have drafted that guy. And, you know, I, I look, I they, the, they're looking this year at Jalen Brunson as their first-round pick. Like, because they moved Kemba Walker, you know, and gave up a pick to, to get off that contract to clear the cap space. Like, Jalen Brunson this year is kind of their first-round pick. And, look, I can see how they see it that way. Jalen Brunson's, what, 25 years old? He's... You know, not an all-star, but an exceptionally efficient scorer. I think he's going to have a good career uh, in New York. So that's a step in the right direction. And I think if you're the Knicks, you, you can't you can't worry about relevancy. You can't worry about what your team looks like in the market. You've got to just keep building. And they're a very average team, and that's what they're going to be. But I think they're an average team with upside. I mean, R.J. Barrett is 22. So... Yeah, and he averaged 20 points per game last year. I'm not saying he's going to be a perennial all-star, but it wouldn't surprise me if he was one at some point in his career. Brunson's 25. Mitchell Robinson's 24. Like, they've got some pretty good foundational pieces on this team that they can build around if they use their draft picks well or they trade them down the line for a player that makes sense with this group where you don't have to give up a whole heck of a lot. Where, Where I think the Knicks made a mistake was giving Barrett that deal when they did. There, there was no deadline for R.J. Barrett. That was an artificial deadline imposed by Leon Rose, who was trying to get Utah in gear. He was playing a game of, ch- of chicken with Danny Ainge that he was never going to win. So, like, giving Barrett... What's that? That backfired. Yeah, backfired. Giving Barrett that extension... Yeah, I, I've read some stuff about it. It miffed the Jazz. Like, I, I can tell you, Danny does not give a shit. Like, just, like, nothing really bothers... Like, everything is cold-blooded... With Danny Ainge at the end of the day, he just he's wants make the, best, the best. He just wants the best deal. We have he's seen that make for the best years. Deal. What, he just wants the it, best deal, and and if he doesn't get it, he walks away. What it did do was complicate the trade, right? Because once you give Barrett that extension, all of a sudden the numbers are a little bit different, and you have to do things um, in a, a different way. But I think that's the mistake. They probably should have just played it out a little while longer. I know there were negotiations with Bill Duffy, Barrett's age, but Barrett didn't have any leverage here. Like it was an extension, not a new contract. He had no leverage and. You tell me he wasn't going to accept the $107 million contract three weeks from now? I don't really buy that. So <laughs> yeah. I, I think that was a tactical mistake on the part of the Knicks. But ultimately, I don't know that they were going to go as deep as the Cavs did on draft picks. And that's what the Jazz wanted. That's what they wanted. So I, I'm ultimately, I think they made the right call walking away from this. It's painful. It's going to lead to some grumbling. Um, it sucks not to get a star the caliber of Mitchell in your market, but if they had been forced to sacrifice Barrett, another couple of players, and three first-round picks and swap rights, we would have looked back on that deal five years from now and said it was catastrophic. Yeah, and and, and by the way, like with Donovan Mitchell, um, something that I had mentioned, I think, on this podcast back in, I don't know, January, February, when there was a lot of speculation about what was going on with the Jazz. 
the Donovan Mitchell Rudy Gobert thing it was bigger than that. There's there was tensions around that locker room, and it, it and it and it was not just those two. And I'm not saying like I don't be very very clear on this. No one's saying Donovan Mitchell's a bad guy or low character or anything like that. Donovan Mitchell can be hard to play with, and Donovan Mitchell as a primary creator and ball handler on a team, I think is still learning the best balance between calling his own shot and distributing. Again, reasons for the Cavs to have to figure some stuff out, reasons for the Knicks to be concerned with whether or not he's the guy to build around. So I, I, I by no means am I saying you go all in on Donovan Mitchell and it's the key to the universe, the whole, you know, your, your contender tomorrow. They probably still would have missed the playoffs, maybe would have been a playing team, but it would have been step one toward the path back. And that's what they what has eluded them so far, Chris. My point is not to say that they should have done it, as I like said from the outset. I am with everybody who looks at this and says the Knicks were in danger of an overpay that could have hurt them in the future, especially when they were dealing their own picks, by the way, which is another interesting little like tangent on this or uh, just subplot. The picks that the Jazz wanted were not all those picks the Knicks have been acquiring from these other teams that are all pretty heavily protected yeah. and are by some teams that are better than them, right? Dallas's 2023 pick, unless Luka g- goes down is going to be in the 20s or the low 20s. And the Milwaukee pick for it is in 2025 with protections on it. And the Bucks are still great. You know, the Washington pick, the Detroit pick, like these are, they've got a ton of protections on them. So the picks that the Jazz wanted were the Knicks picks because they're banking on the Knicks not being good enough, mm-hmm. which again, tells you something about how the, the way the league sees the Knicks. So again, not saying they should do the deal. I am saying that three years into any administration, if this had happened any time in the last 20 years, by year three, the front office would be getting torched in New York. Maybe it's a good sign that they're not. Maybe it's a good sign that people, that the fans as well as ownership are, are seemingly taking a better, uh, more uh, reasonable and patient approach. But it doesn't last forever in this market or any other market. Eventually, you have to show some progress. I don't know that we're really seeing any progress if year three, they're still at best a play-in team. And... And what is the plan? If the plan is just to simply sit on this cache of picks, waiting for the next opportunity, you don't know when that opportunity will be or if, if that team is interested in, in that stack of picks that you've got. Um, and meanwhile, look, compare them to other bad teams, other lottery teams. Would you rather have Jalen Brunson, Julius Randall, R.J. Barrett, or Jalen Green, Jabari Smith in Houston, or Shea Gildas-Alexander, Holmgren, Giddy, Dort in, in Oklahoma, or... Even like De'Aaron Fox, Sabonis, and Keegan Murray in, in Sacramento. Um, Detroit's got Cunningham. Even Indiana, even after they got on load stuff. They've got Ty- Tyrese Halliburton, a guy the Knicks could have drafted, but they took Obi Toppin ahead of him. Spurs are in a teardown. Jazz are in a teardown. Um, Charlotte's got LaMelo Ball. Knicks fans would be thrilled to have a LaMelo Ball. Like, who is, who is there to be excited about? So all I'm saying is, and then there's Orlando. I don't know if Orlando's got anything. <laughs> But um, we'll see if Ben Carroll becomes anything. But I'm not excited about the Magic. Uh, but I'm just saying, among other teams that were in the lottery, Chris, or that are going to be, like, how many teams can the Knicks say they're better positioned than? Yes, they've got their all those picks, and they've got some interesting young players. But nobody that really pops, nobody who's going to be a future star or perennial star. R.J. Barrett, by the way, like, I'm sure you've had the same conversations around the league that I have. And even people who are mm, some folks with, with uh, interest... Uh, invested interest in the Knicks will will tell you like, yeah, RJ Barrett might make a couple All Star teams. No one believes that he's going to be a perennial All Star, and and he's young enough that he could surprise everybody. But there's no one thing he does at an elite level that suggests he's the guy you build around, as opposed to maybe a guy who's a really good third or fourth best player in your starting lineup. 
So uh, you still come back to who are they and where are they going and what's the agenda? What is the plan? Uh, if, if They're not planning on being a draft team, right? They are not going to get their star through the draft. We know that that's off the board. Free agency has gotten a lot harder because of so many forced trades and guys being traded with, with, with time still left on their deals. So trading for a star is really their main avenue. So now they, it's, it's a sit and wait approach, which might prove to be the best thing. It might. But as we sit here in September of 2022, three off seasons into this administration, I, like I just don't see that they have much to show for the work. And their best players were from the previous administration. R.J. Barrett was drafted by Steve Mills. Scott Perry is mm. still with the Knicks. But, um, and Julius Randle, they re-signed. Mitchell Robinson, drafted by, by, by the Mills group. Um, I, I just, I don't see, I, I don't mean to be hypercritical of Leon Rose's staff, but I just, like, if the progress isn't there, eventually they're going to have to answer to somebody who is more important than I am in this discussion. Uh, the, the Julius Randle extension was... I, this is not Monday morning quarterbacking for me. I wouldn't have done that back then. I said it. you got to show me two years of it before oh, I'm willing yes. to give you an extension. Not one they year of great play in all NBA. You didn't need to do it. They did it, and that's becoming problematic for them. I, I Look, I am more bullish on R.J. Barrett perhaps than, than others are. Um, I mean, because how many 20-point-per-game scores do you have at age 22? And he's a mid-30s three-point shooter. His efficiency numbers are awful. That's the big thing. Like, he's in the low 40s overall shooting percentage. you got to get that up into the mid to high 40s to be which, a high-level Which is why player. you can't rely... Which is why you can't rely just on being a 20-point-per-game score, especially right. in today's I, NBA and the pace that they play at. I do think he can get there, though. I, mean, I think he's young enough. He's He, he, he works with the right people. Um, and, and if he continues to grow his game, he could be... Uh, a, a, like a Jalen Brown type, not the type of player, but a guy that's in the all-star conversation every single year. Some years he makes it, some years he doesn't. Uh, that's a pretty good piece to have on your roster there. So I think they'll be happy they didn't just uh, jettison him as part of a uh, broader package. All right, Howard, that has been our Donovan Mitchell podcast for the week. I'm sure we'll do a deeper dive on the rest of the league when we are back next week with the season uh, less than a month away, preseason, less than a month away from starting. How about that? Weeks away from media days. I, I can't Ooh. even believe it. I've always said this uh, in covering the league for this will be my 26th season. September is the shortest month of the year. And I don't yeah. mean because it's like 30 days in September. Like, no, September is a is an eye blink. It goes by so fast. Like January is the longest month. You're in the, the dog days of the NBA season. It just drags. Everything after the All-Star break to the playoffs goes by really quickly. Um, September is the sh is the shortest month, uh, especially of summer, because you think, oh, we've still got another few weeks to enjoy our downtime. And no, it's it's just, it's gone before you know it. Oh, we'll do this again next week. Always a pleasure, my friend. And when we come back, Karan Butler. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. 
Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game-changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast NBA DNA with Hannah Storm digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Karan Butler is a 14-year NBA veteran and NBA champion. He's currently an assistant coach with the Miami Heat, and he has published his second book. It's called Shot Clock, and it's available everywhere this month. I think, Karan, a second book makes you more of a writer than I am. So congratulations on that. Hey, don't start that. You know, we used to work uh, side by side together, man. I I learned a lot from you, brother. I appreciate you. (laughs) You got it, man. So as I said, second book, you told what is a incredibly compelling life story in the book Tough Juice many years ago, which, by the way, I was wondering as I was prepping this, is that still going to be a movie? Is there yes. still a movie in progress? Yes, we're still in progress. Uh, we have a script completed by Jason Liu. Uh, it was a lot of things that I really wanted to make sure that was accurate. I didn't want it to be dramatized too much where it took away from 
the actual events that happened in my life. So we're definitely still in the process. Yeah. It, well, as someone that read the book and has known you for many years, your your life story can't be dramatized. It's dramatic enough <laughs> like that. You, you've had enough uh, going on in your life. A Mark Wahlberg production still, right? Definitely. Yep. Unrealistic okay. ideas. Love it. Love it. Looking forward to that. So w- with that book in the bag, why would you do a second one? Well, um, I, I always, you know, felt the the need to, you know, tell stories about things that can impact people, uh, people from all walks of life, but specifically uh, things that I observe uh, firsthand. And I started a program, Butler Lee program about uh, 2009, and I was able to you know, be at the helm of watching these young kids be exposed to, you know, different cities, different environments for the first time in their life and just um, really just seeing the potential in them. But I also saw some of the adversity that they were struggling through. Um, I saw them dealing with the realities of the world, dealing with racism, dealing with bullying, dealing with uh, people being subtracted out their life. Um, some of the things that they had to get over, some of the vices that they had to go up against. And I really wanted to just tell those stories because I felt like from a children's standpoint and an educational standpoint, as a father of five, I didn't have access to those books. I didn't have access to those stories. And some of the things that we had access to, part of the core curriculum was just dated, you know, from the great Gatsby to outsiders, things like that. Killer Mockingbird, like it's great books, you know, legendary writers and everything, but it was just a lot of dated stories. And I just wanted to create something that would really be impactful. So as you're as you're creating this, you've mentioned in previous interviews that Kobe Bryant was something of a muse uh, for you here. Uh, why was that? Just because he gave me the confidence to really go out there and just tell my truth. Even f- from telling my own story, you know, uh, it a lot of thought don't go into telling your story. Like bullshit, it doesn't. A lot of th- a lot of thought goes into it because it's your reality and this it, it puts you in a very very vulnerable situation. But my uh, tough juice, my journey from the streets to the NBA was just like this. Ugh, I'm just gonna emotionally vomit and exhale. And Kobe gave me the confidence to do that. You know, I talked to him. He ridden it forward, and we went down that road. But he said, little bro, you have so much potential. You have a a great just knack for just telling stories. And I think you really should, you know, explore that and pursue that. And I thought about it um, and just reading some of his books. And um, I was just inspired by him, you know, seeing his early success, you know, going out, winning the Oscar. I was just like, you know, this is something I I, I really want to pursue and and I find myself writing or thinking of ideas and creativity from that standpoint, whenever I'm not thinking about basketball or developing players. And I just wanted to go down that path. And it feels like one of the, the many things we missed out on with Kobe's passing was what this next act would have been for him because he was doing some inspiring things. He was oh. creating on a level that we hadn't seen ex-athletes at least create on ever before yeah i I think one of the biggest things like he our 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 last dinner we had in sacramento we was talking about um our second acts and he just told me promise me that your second act gonna be better than your first one and i definitely made that promise so when i think about 
some of the, the the biggest things that you know we all took from the life of you know the late great Kobe Bryant, my brother, is like think about how many people he's impacted. Me being at the forefront of many, but he impacted so many people, and if you know just his influence and his mentorship from far near. Uh, he really impacts so many people to be the best possible version of themselves. And I think the reason why a lot of people believe because seeing is believing, they saw it in real time with him executing everything that he said he was going to do and following through with the mission. And I just thought it was remarkable to see, you know, as a five-time champion, as, you know, being the face of the league and all the great things that he did, um, you knew that it can be done with, hard work. Yeah, look, and one of the more entertaining things I've found in preparing to talk to you for this was you've had a chance in other interviews to tell some pretty funny Kobe stories, whether it's, you know, the the game in Charlotte where, what was it, Lamar Odom inbounded the ball to him. You said that with your, to your guy Duncan Robinson to, <laughs> what was it, blackout drills, blackout drills with Kobe Bryant in the morning. Is that something too? Absolutely. Yeah, the, the blackout drills was crazy. I that was the, that was my first workout with him uh when he signed that massive extension after we were traded, me, Brian Grant, and Lamar. And he was just like, All right, what what are we about to do? He's like, We about to f- fucking black out. And I was like, What is a blackout? He was like, Be here tomorrow at seven o'clock and we're gonna start our workout sessions. And that was just like, damn, like everything I, I was taught I was taught with the Miami organization as a rookie in my sophomore season about hard work, uh, discipline, determination, dedication, the creed of your craft and just emptying yourself in your, your investment in your craft. I saw it in real time with Kobe and I was like, damn, like this is real. Like I've never seen a player go through this process and his mental fortitude, like to watch film and, you know, really study, players knew where everyone on the court is supposed to be knew when the time to cut knew this, the pulse of the game. And I learned so much from him. And I knew that from a basketball player, I was going to be extremely, you know, 10 X on the basketball court, but just the way I function in life, like the, the, the habits that I took from the blackout sessions and just my approach to the game of basketball. Like I approach life like that. Now I'm extremely detailed, in increments in every stage of my life. And I, 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 it has really enhanced me as a person. I also, Karan, had blackout sessions back around that time, but it was a little bit different. When you're, <laughs> That's a whole you're other blackout. It was a whole different kind of blackout there at that <laughs> point. Um, you know, Kobe, his career only ended, you know, seven, six, seven years ago. Um, and I don't like to ask how guys would fit into today's game because Kobe would have found a way. He would have adapted. But, you know, you talk about those blackout sessions with Kobe and the work ethic that he had. How do you think Kobe Bryant would fit into today's locker room? You're an assistant coach now in Miami. You see today's players, these young guys, hyper-skilled, don't get me wrong, but, you know, how would he have Would he have liked today's player? Would he have liked being, you know, Kobe at 30 in today's locker room? Yeah. With, with greatness, you have to make room for it. And I'm, I'm glad you asked that question because when you think about the, even even the U.S. Open right now, you're watching Serena Williams and watching greatness at his finest. And, you know, um, no matter the age, 
they just find a way. They impose their will on the situation. They've been in these moments. They're built for this moment, uh, uh, for their moments. And, you know, when God made them, they threw away the mold. It's, it's no replicas. They're one of a kind. And what made Kobe so unique is that outside of being, in my eyes, you know, top five player ever to touch the court, uh, he can adapt to any situation. I've seen Kobe go out and get a triple-double, manufacture a triple-double, manufacture 60 points because it was a night that Jordan had an amazing night, and he had circled it out on the calendar and tell you what he was doing the next day. Like, strategically knew exactly how he was going to attack every game in September. Now the season hasn't even started yet, so he was already telling you what he was going to do or I'm going to hit a left-hand shot in the second quarter and go do it. Like, he was – that brilliant of a basketball mind to just manipulate a system on the court or manipulate a defense and get exactly what he always wanted. And his brain speed is second to none. So when you talk about guys like, you know, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, um, the Wilt Chamberlains, the Bill Russells, the LeBron James, like those guys can do what they did in any era. I feel like Kobe and Jimmy Butler would have been good teammates. It might have been explosive at times, but I feel like they would have been on the same page with how to approach the game. I I, I would say this after you know playing with Kobe and now coaching Jimmy, the mentalities for competition are, I mean, spot on, identical, <laughs> and I, and that's why I love just like being next to Jimmy, talking to Jimmy, like picking his brain through situations, helping him, you know, elevate in whatever capacity that I can help him, uh, spending time with him on the court, you know, listening to him during film sessions, uh, giving my, you know, subjective uh, opinions as well. But just he's he's a he's a, a beautiful basketball mind. He's one of the most unselfish, and I, I mean this, like, and this is not a, you know, a pitch or anything. He's just like one of the most unselfish players I've ever seen in the game, but a superstar because it has to be like a, a form of selfishness in being a superstar, but he's just so unselfish. All he care about is the dub and to a fault. Sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, he's just so unselfish, but his mentality, like the way they're wired greatness with competition. I mean, Kobe is identical. Before I let you go, you play with two transformational players, Kobe Bryant and Dirk Nowitzki. Yeah. Um, Tough question to ask, but bigger impact on the game. Kobe, who has a legion of, you know, followers from Kyrie to Jason Tatum, guys still coming in the league now that worshipped and play, try to play like Kobe, or Dirk, who, you know, even changed the game. <laughs> you know, now we have seven footers like Carl Towns out there jacking ten plus threes per game. Like, who was a more influential figure in basketball? Uh, that's 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 so tough because mm. when you think about arguably the greatest player in, in a lot of people's eyes ever played the game was Michael Jordan, uh, and Kobe was the closest thing we ever seen to it. You know, uh, identical like splint image of the player, and probably even more skilled in 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 in, in some capacities. And then when you think about Dirk, you nailed it, Chris. Like the way he reinvented that position at the four where he's able to stretch and extend the floor and shoot the basketball. You know, traditionally those guys live, you know, below the free throw line on the block area, you know, doing playing back to the basket, but he just redefined that position. I mean, 
When you go to Dallas, you see the silhouette on the floor with the one leg up. That's dirt. That, that's exactly where he lived at in that area, in that logo area. But uh, I, that's that's a tough question for me. You know, I'm, well, let me ask you. Let me ask you this way: Like, do you remember early Dirk? Like, you we were teammates with him in 2011. But what? Like, do you remember kind of what you first thought of this skinny German seven footer jacking up three pointers? I, I was just like, wow. Like, is he initially honest? I was like, wow. Will he be able to stick around? Because that just wasn't. That wasn't traditional, but he was ahead of his time. It, it, the same, the same thing. I think a lot of people thought of young Kobe. They was like, "Wow, he's just, you know, he's athletic, but he's not that. You know, is he skilled or can he play with Shaq? Or you know, it, it was a lot of questions out there on him. And then all of a sudden, he just it all clicked, it all registered. And Jerry West did a great job at you know bringing him into the centerfold. And just like Dirk, you know, Holger, you know, he did a hell of a job of just continuing to develop him, and he became the, the best shooting big in probably NBA history. No, I, I remember early Kobe in the playoffs in the late 90s, like missing shots off the side of the backboard. Like he had his trial by fire for for a young player like that. But uh, worked out well for him, worked out well for Dirk, and um, certainly tons of fans or tons of followers of them uh, later on. Karan, congrats on the second book, man. Um, if you do write a third and you need a ghostwriter, I am all about Karan Butler on the Wizards years. Like, just give me, like, let's just do a book on the Wizards year. Just those, <laughs> that five-year window of insanity, and I'll be happy to to team up with you on that one. Done deal, brother. That's a mic drop. <laughs> done, done deal. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one -on -one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. 
It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.